Hello, good morning, happy Easter, Jesus is risen, and we get to open up God's word now and talk all about Jesus, this is awesome, Uh, but first, I want to tell you what Easter is not about, what Easter is not about, Easter is not about Cadbury chocolate eggs, Easter is not about Reese's peanut butter eggs, I have eaten a lot of those over the years. Easter is not about coloring hard-boiled eggs. Easter, I got in trouble with first hour about this and second hour too, but Easter is not about peeps. (laughs) Easter is not about the Easter bunny. Not for a Christian. So what is Easter all about? Easter is all about a risen from the dead deliverer. Easter is all about a living, sovereign, sinless Savior. Easter is all about being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Now, please find Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there is one in the seat back in front of you. And I believe there's a bookmarker there on page 942, because that's where Romans chapter 6 is in that Bible. If you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read the Bible right now. I'm going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It's our privilege to open up God's Word. God's Word is inspired by God. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is totally true. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life or if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his and lord thank you for your word thank you for your presence with us right now i pray that you would have your way in our hearts today all for your glory and we pray in jesus name amen go ahead and have a seat Let me tell you what we're going to see today in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Believers in Jesus are united with Christ. Believers in Jesus are united with Christ. God wants all believers to know that they are united with Christ so that they joyfully live their new life. And I want you to see today what difference the death and resurrection of Jesus mean for you today Christ's death and resurrection are not just historical data points. They are not just bedrock, foundational, biblical doctrines. They are the personal and the the powerful experience of every believer. Every believer in Jesus powerfully and personally experiences Christ's death and resurrection. Be united with Christ 
means that you have a relationship with Christ. And today in this passage, there are two ways, two God-given ways that we see that believers are united with Christ. Christians are first united with Christ in his death, and Christians are secondly united with Christ in his resurrection. That's what we're going to see today. That's our outline, those two points. We are united with Christ in his death, and we are united with Christ in his resurrection. Those are not easy ideas to grasp. Hopefully you're comforted to know that even those who were following Jesus right after the resurrection found it puzzling. So have sincere, well-meaning Christians ever since. We're going to focus today on being united with Christ. Next week, we're going to get into Romans 6, 1 through 14 again, and we're going to look all the way through there in more depth and what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. But today we're going to focus mostly on being united with Christ in a resurrection like his. Romans talks a lot about the cross. Romans talks a lot about the resurrection. In fact, you go over to Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and basically you see the centerpiece of Romans, the centerpiece of the gospel. Romans starts with the resurrection. It says in verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. When you look at Romans, we've been going through Romans verse by verse as a church, and this is where we came today. It's like the passage picked us for Easter. We had baptisms first and second service. Uh, you know, we were, the people who got baptized, their hair was still wet, and we were talking about baptism. It's good, good timing. We're talking about the death and the resurrection of Christ and how baptism illustrates that. And when you look at Romans chapters 1 through 4, what you see is that it's all about believing the gospel. It's all about mankind's sinfulness and God's holiness and God making a way of salvation so that sinful people can be reconciled to God. And now we're in chapters 5 through 8, another section in Romans, and it's all about resting in the gospel. Resting in The gospel truth. We spent five weeks just looking at Romans 5 verses 1 through 11. And reasons to rejoice in Christ. That we have peace with God. It's eternal. We have access right now to God's grace. We have future hope of glory. We also saw that we rejoice even in our sufferings. Get that. Even in our sufferings. We rejoice in God's love in Christ's death for us. And we rejoice in absolute assurance of salvation. Those are reasons to just cherish who Jesus is and and our ongoing relationship of grace now and glory in the world to come. Last week we looked at Romans 5 verses 12 through 21. And Paul was painting this picture, really two portraits, one of humanity in Adam, where sin and death came into the world through Adam. And the other portrait was of Christ, how life and righteousness came into the world through Christ. And now we come to Romans chapter 6. And it tells us that believers are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And that leads to growth in Christ. I know how most of us think we all kind of want the quick fix, and I think it's very easy, very easy for those of us who want things quickly 
those of us who think that waiting five minutes in a fast food line is too long, it is very easy for us who want things quickly to literally want to jump from Romans chapter 5 all the way to Romans chapter 12. Like, hey, I, I get what he's saying about being justified by, by faith in Christ. Uh, I get it. I'm right with God now as a believer. I'm justified. So let's get to the practical stuff. Let's get to how to live it. Give me the punch list. I'll do that. The problem is that's not how life in Christ works. There aren't shortcuts. There are no easy answers. Not when you're talking about life and death and eternity. So I'm going to make the very obvious point. If you need a road map, the road from Romans chapter 5 to Romans chapter 12 goes through Romans chapter 6 through 11. Can we keep that a secret just between us? Now that's an obvious point though that is often missed by pragmatists. It's often missed by those who want quick fixes. But you get what you pay for. I want you to see here that in Christ, you get what he paid for. You're going to either be dead in your sins or dead to sin in Christ. You are either going to be alive in your sin and thinking everything is just fine or you will be alive to Christ. Today we're going to focus on what it means to be united with Christ in his resurrection and, and really to understand that, you first need to understand what does it mean to be united with Christ in his death. So We're going to take that first. What does it mean to be united with Christ in his death? Well, we're talking about the cross. We're talking about what 1 Peter 2, 24 says, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, a.k.a. the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we have been healed. We believe in God's version of the story. We've got our Bibles open. I'm preaching from the Bible. They were reading the Bible. And the, the, God's version of the story is that he created the world and he created us. And the first man, Adam, sinned, and so sin and death entered the world, into the human experience. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth died a gruesome and agonizing and humiliating death on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Mark, verse, in chapter 14, Right before, the night before Jesus is going to die on the cross, it says that after supper, Jesus and his disciples leave the old city of Jerusalem and cross the Kidron Valley, heading toward the Mount of Olives. And Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to rise from the dead and that he will go ahead of them to Galilee. He says that before morning, Peter will deny him three times. In John chapter 18, you see Jesus walking through the Kidron Valley the day before the cross. Thursday afternoon of Passion Week. They would have been sacrificing lambs on the altar of the temple on that day. As many as 250,000 lambs were killed in a typical Jewish Passover season. 
There would have been a lot of blood flowing. There would have been a lot of water that was washing the blood away. And all of this liquid is draining from the altar to the Kidron Valley just outside the temple walls. Kidron, it means um, black brook. It means gloomy brook. And here is Jesus walking through the Kidron Valley on the day that blood and water was flowing through. Reminders of mankind's sin. Sacrificial lamb's blood. A reminder to Jesus of the cup that he was about to drink because he came for the express purpose to die as the perfect sacrificial lamb for our sins that we might be restored to a relationship with God. This is what we're talking about at Easter. This is what we're talking about when we say the death and resurrection of Christ. That same afternoon, evening, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14 also tells us this olive grove on the east side of the Kidron Valley at the foot of the Mount of Olives, Jesus is praying in great anguish for several hours while his disciples sleep. And he prays, Abba, Father, the the son is praying to the father and he says, take this cup away from me if possible, but yet not what I will, what you will. It was the will of God that he should suffer as Isaiah 53 tells us. And so he goes back through the Kidron Valley where that blood was flowing and he goes to Calvary where his blood was spilled. And he was crucified between two thieves outside the city where trash was thrown in plain sight so that people could mock and and ridicule him as he hung on the cross. His death for us, we've been seeing this in, in recent weeks here at Grace, his death for us was instead of us, was in the place of us. It was substitutionary. And he died for us so that we could die to sin. This passage before us here, these five verses we're looking at, starts with kind of a conversation that Paul is bringing up. And it's, it's about dying to sin, but he, he takes an interesting avenue to get there. He starts in verse 1 a conversation about growing in Christ as a believer. Okay, he's talking about basically sanctification, being made more like Christ. But Paul, the former Pharisee, anticipates what people are going to say who are opposed to the gospel truth. People who would say things like this. Well, you know, I know that I sin, but hey, I'm just going to get forgiven. So you know what? I'm going to keep on sinning as much as I can, as much as I jolly well please, because then I will get more grace. And that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. So verse 1, Paul asks this question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we continue sinning to get more grace? And his answer in verse 2 is this. By no means. You're like, whoa, calm down. Whoa, whoa. Relax. Well, he was indignant. He was outraged by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it he's literally saying god forbid certainly not literally may it never be 14 times in his letters 10 times in romans paul says by no means 
It is the absolute strongest Greek way of rejecting and denying a statement. There is a sense of outrage attached to it that anyone would ever think it was true. Paul is saying, no way in the world. You have got to be kidding me. No way ever. Most ridiculous statement ever. Perish the thought. Only a fool would think like this. This is what Paul is saying. I need to take you back to chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, and what this is based upon. Paul was there comparing and contrasting the work of Adam and the work of Christ, how sin and death came in through Adam, how life and righteousness came through Christ. And he said this. He said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the more sins, the more grace. And, and literally mega grace, superabounding grace. And the idea is mega sin being eclipsed by mega, mega grace. So God's grace overcomes the sin. But he's saying, don't twist the words. He's outraged, he's indignant. Salvation is a free, unearned gift. And people are objecting to it on those terms. Like, well, you know, let's just sin as much as we can. Paul's not going to change the gospel. The gospel doesn't change. God's not going to change the gospel to fit your version of it. Sin more to get more grace? Paul's furious. It's like he's saying, over my dead body. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27, tell us that if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment. It's the person who basically says, you know, you're telling me about Jesus, but whatever, I'm going to do whatever I want. And, and yo, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not going to really follow him. And what happens is, for that person, they take themselves out of the way of what Christ's sacrifice did, and they should have a fearful expectation of God's judgment that would come upon them. Paul is saying very clearly that believers cannot continue willfully sinning because they died to sin. Now, being dead to sin does not mean that you never have another sinful thought or sinful action because all of us would you know, be thrown out right away, me included. Like, that's not going to happen yet. It refers to something that happened to us in the past because we know that our battle with sin on a daily basis is not over. The idea is that Christ died in our place and we, were we are considered dead with him when he died for sin. And the idea here, this is the primary idea here, is that being, being united with Christ in his death means that you're, you're free from the power of sin now. You're free from sin's power now. But don't misunderstand what it means to be a Christian. The Christian life begins with a death to sin. Not that we are completely dead to it, but that we died, past tense. We died to sin. Again, the power of sin over us is broken. So it's ridiculous for us to say, yeah, we can continue sinning as much as we want. Now, every one of us who's a believer is going to say this, well, I still live in my sinful flesh. I still live in the flesh. I still sin. What can I do? 
Hebrews 12, you know, like the sin that so easily entangles me, the sin that clings so close me, closely to me, I struggle with that sin. And I'm going to say, yes, the rest of chapter 6 addresses this, as well as chapter 7 and chapter 8. You struggle with stubborn pockets of sin that just won't die and false wells that you go back to over and over again and sinful habits and habitual sins and even we, get, we have our signature sins and we keep falling back to them. How do we deal with that? Well, I'm not going to give you the answer today. I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to leave it open-ended until next week. I want you to wrestle with that question. Wrestle with the question. Search the scriptures. Come back next week. We'll talk about death to sin and being alive to God. Romans 6, 1 through 14. How you shouldn't let sin reign. And how you can uninvite and evict the nasty squatter called sin. That'll be for next week. You got homework. Let's go on to verse 3. Verse 3. He says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? So we have been baptized into Christ Jesus, and he said, when that happened, you were baptized into his death. What does that mean? Well, clearly, it is not talking about the believer's baptisms that we saw at first and second service. Uh, not water baptism. It's talking about baptism by the Spirit of God. Being immersed into Christ in terms of living by faith and trusting Christ's finished work. Paul is using the term baptized metaphorically here. And it's like when you say, you know, I, I was really immersed in that project. I, I was really engrossed in, in that work I was doing. So as followers of Christ, they trust his finished work to save them. They are spiritually immersed into Christ. They are completely united and identified with Christ. That's what baptism means here. It's like when we say that someone, you know, wow, he went through a baptism of fire. We're not saying like he actually like was dunked in a whole bunch of fire, like a fire pit. It, what it means is, wow, there was a, a sort of an initiation that happened. They were completely engulfed in something. A Christian is fully immersed in Christ. The life radically reoriented around who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do. You are baptized into his death. It's the baptism of the Spirit where you are immersed in Christ. You are fully identified with him. You are indwelt. And it's passive here. We have been baptized. Don't miss that. It happened to you. God did it at the point of conversion. To be united with Christ is that you are free now. You have been saved now from the power and penalty of sin. You are part of the church, the body and bride of Christ. So we celebrate this morning believers' baptism by immersion in water. That illustrates that truth. It shows the change that Jesus makes in those he saves. Water baptism of believers, illustration. That's why they give a testimony. And, and they, it's, a, it's a passive thing. They got saved. <laughs> they didn't save themselves. They got saved. God, God put them into relationship with Christ, into Christ's body. No one should ever say, you know, getting baptized in water makes you a Christian. 
If you hold that view, it's not a biblical view. Paul would never say getting water baptized makes you a Christian. Here's, by the way, I could spend all day with you t- showing you why that, you know, that's the case. But let me just give you a really quick one. Paul just spent the first four chapters of Romans proving that justification is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That there is no way you can save yourself. That there is no way that you can keep yourself saved. So basically, don't delete Romans chapters 1 through 4 in your Bibles. Let me put it another way. Your invisible union with Christ by faith, okay? You can't see it, but it exists. Your invisible union with Christ by faith is visibly illustrated by baptism. Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. He died for sin and rose from the dead. And we are raised to new life in Christ. And baptism illustrates it. Now we want to move on to what does it mean to be united with Christ in his resurrection? We're united with Christ in his death because he died for sin. And so then we can die to sin. But we are united with him in his resurrection, it also says. We're united in his life. So now we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about him being raised from the dead. We're talking about an empty tomb. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. Mary and other women found the tomb empty. There was a young man sitting nearby, and he told them, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has risen, and he is not here. And they fled from the tomb, afraid. Fast forward a little bit, and later on, some of Jesus' disciples go back to their former occupation of fishing and they have not caught anything and they're fishing and Jesus is standing on the beach and they're puzzled. Then another time, the disciples go back to Galilee and they see the risen Christ. Remember he said, I will rise from the dead and I will meet you in Galilee. But it says that some doubted. Some heard the story of Jesus showing up and said, I wasn't there and I won't believe it. In fact, Thomas said, if I don't put my fingers where the nail holes are, and I can't put my hand in the place where the spear pierced his side, I will not believe. There's a lot of people that would be in that category. They say, I won't believe unless you give me this startling proof. So what does Jesus do? Jesus shows himself to Thomas as well. And he said something very striking that applies to every one of us. He says, have you believed, Thomas, because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. That's anyone outside of the original apostles and Paul who believe. Their lives are radically transformed. Millions of people's lives have been similarly transformed. The same is true for so many of us. We say, well, our lives have been transformed. You should have seen me before I was a believer. Because Christ's death and resurrection radically transforms our lives. It's like the caterpillar going into the cocoon, coming out a butterfly. How's that happen? It's like you're alive in Christ. You used to be dead and then you're saved and now you're alive. And everyone who's in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away and new has come. Look at verse 4. It says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, so there's a purpose here, 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, the resurrection, we too might walk in newness of life, new life. We were buried with him. We are united by faith with him, as baptism symbolizes. His death and burial are ours. And it says that we might walk. And by the way, it's not just like a might, like we say, well, I might do that. This is not a distant possibility only for the really good high achievers amongst us. This means we do walk. We behave this way. We live this way. We walk in newness of life actively. We choose to do this. We didn't choose to be regenerated. That's a passive when we were reborn. But now we are active in newness of life. We were spiritually dead and, and we, we were buried with him and now we're united with him in his resurrection. And we now possess in Christ new life. That term new is interesting. You might say, well, I just got a new car and you, you just got it this week and it has to do with timing and all that. This new is different. This means that the quality and character of your life is now radically reoriented around Christ. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, of Christ. And now, the Bible says, you are a citizen of heaven if you're a believer. Uh, You belong to Christ. You no longer belong to the devil. You have a new goal of life. Now, you want to please God. Before, you just want to please yourself. Now, a believer wants to please God. And the driving force of your life changes. The trajectory is no longer me, 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 the trajectory is now Godward. You're going in God's direction. So instead of thinking that you determine your own destiny, you trust Jesus Christ as Lord, and you say, he's in charge. I'm gonna yield to him. That's what happens when you've been reborn, when you've been born again. Your old life would be characterized by death and sin. Your new life in Christ Characterized by righteousness and life. And this is is not theoretical truth. This is not like, oh, wow, yeah, check, I got that. It's, 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 It's theoretical, it's just an idea. No, this is very practical. This hits you where you live. This is deep theology that gets added into your biography. Your story how Jesus has changed your life. And it becomes the driving ambition of your life to please God. Really good theology ought to lead to biographical doxology where you literally are really living to the praise of God. This is your motive. Is this your experience? Is this your experience, though? I mean, life is tough. We talk about our life all the time. Some people, they talk about their life, and they're like, I don't like my life. Some people say, you know, I ruined my life. Or someone stole my life. Or someone, you know, stepped on my life and shattered my life or I I threw my life away or my life is just broken and then we ask can I have a do-over can I have another life 
Can I start over? We're asking, can I have a new life? And the Christian gets the new life. Raised to new life. And again, it's not like you go get another new life every time yours breaks as a Christian. Well, you know, uh, things have kind of bogged down in my life as a Christian. I, I need a new life. No, remember, it's the quality and character of your life in Christ. Lean into the life you already have. The new, the new life for a Christian is where you've been raised to new life and you keep living in that reality while you're looking forward to heaven. Because now, everything in your life is in perspective of heaven and then what's going on here. So your life doesn't feel as broken all the time when you just have your eyes on yourself. Does that make sense? I see three people nodding. I'm going to say it makes sense. <laughs> we have the hope of resurrection. But some people don't have the hope. We spend our life going to work and going to school and hanging out with our friends and working and playing and laughing and crying and planning and striving. And sometimes you wonder, don't you, what is all of this for? What is all of this for? There must be something more. It can't be everything I see here on earth because, you know, what I see here on earth, it just seems kind of cruddy here. Maybe you're on that low road a bit right now. Maybe you're not seeing the high road very much, and you're not being very hopeful. Maybe you're not very joyful, and you're like, things just aren't good, and maybe for, in your mind, they're always bad. It depends. It really depends on who you belong to. Think about it. You're away at college. Who do you go home to? You go home to your family. Who's your family? Is God your family? Is the body of Christ your family? Or is the devil your family? If you belong to Jesus, you have a new life. You have, you have regeneration. You have a new family. There's been a one-time declaration in your life that you have been made right with God in justification. And there is this ongoing process in your life of transformation, of sanctification. And you will be united with Christ in a resurrection like His. The Bible tells us this, and, and the Bible tells us it's all from God. That's why so many of these statements are in passive. Next week, we'll look at some imperatives. What do you do as a result of the indicative? But most of these are passive. God does it. So if you're wondering about your life right now, let's just say right now you're like, man, I really want what he's talking about, but this is not my life. Then you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. I don't mean to get overly simplistic with you, but how about if we just get overly biblical with you? Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead, and he's coming back with blessing for believers and judgment for unbelievers, and you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There is no earning that takes place. No transaction where you, you give something and you work hard for it and you get something in return. Jesus gave it all and you receive eternal life. And I think someone should raise their hand and say, um, that's not fair. Because it isn't fair. That's not fair. 
But it is gracious, and it is merciful, and it is loving, and it is kind, and it is a gift from God. But everyone doesn't get that gift. Only those who believe. John chapter 1, as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. I have some, uh, some Ducks tickets here. I've got some hockey tickets here. Now you're like, wait a minute, you're preaching about Jesus and now you're going to give away hockey tickets. On, you, know, you know, I didn't give them the first hour, didn't give them the second hour, third hour gets the hockey tickets. Who would like these hockey tickets? I would more than gladly give these to you. I, I don't know what, now, see, now we've got to pick a number between 1 and 100 or something, you know. How did you know that that wasn't the number? <laughs> so here's the deal. These tickets were given to me as a gift from a friend. They were in an envelope, two tickets. They're kind of expensive tickets. But there's a problem with these tickets. They're from the 2017 season. <laughs> you see, I took, I, I received, I thought I received the gift. And I took them home and I put them in the cabinet where all the important stuff goes. And I forgot about them. And then I picked up the envelope one day. I'm like, oh, ooh, I missed them. I felt really bad. I, 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 I admitted it to my friend who gave them to me. I said, I, you, someday it will be a sermon illustration. <laughs> <laughs> so this is so mundane. This is so whatever, right? But let me get serious with you for a moment. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And one day it will be too late to keep saying, you know, I don't want Jesus in my life. Oh, you know, I've, I'm good without him. You know, I'm doing just fine. And I don't want to be mean to you at all. I want to be loving to you. And so maybe I'll just say this with a smile. If you continue in sin, rejecting Christ, going your own way, and you refuse to repent and turn to God by faith, you will suffer the consequence of eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. Because you will either be dead to sin or dead in your sin. You will either be indicted by your own sin and guilt or you will be united with Christ in his resurrection. There are only two options. Look with me at verse 5. Verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his. Literally, since we've been united with him in a death like his. He died for sin so that we would die to sin. Then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. United with Christ. That literally means to be one with. To be like. And I want to make it very simple for you. And you'll just have to trust me on this and go look in your Bibles later on this one, okay? Simply, what does it mean to have union with Christ? What does it mean to be united with Christ? It means to be in Christ. You look in the New Testament, all the times it talks about a believer being in Christ, that means being united with Christ. That means you are united with him. You, are, you have union with Christ. Verse four tells us that believers are to walk in newness of life because Christ was raised from the dead. It says that we shall certainly be united 
with a resurrection like his. That is a genuine future. We will be united with him. Future. But here's the great part. Here's the great part about the gospel. You will be united with him as a believer in the future, and you will have hints of it in your life right now. This is the already not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, Your former life has been crucified with Christ because you belong with Christ, and you do not now fully experience what is to come because we still await the resurrection of our bodies. Romans 8 talks all about it. 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about it. But the glorious power of the resurrection is ours to experience in part right now. Right now. This is what enables us to walk in newness of life. We will be united with Christ's resurrection in the future and his resurrection affects us now. A resurrection like his. This is why Colossians 3 says that since we have been raised up with Christ, we should keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. To be united with him means literally to be grown together with him. It literally means to be fused into one with him. This is something that God does. It becomes the basis of his sanctifying work in your life as Christ lives in you and, and, and you want what Christ wants. This is complete identification with Christ that the Bible teaches. Let me give you some samplings. This is what the Bible says. We are created in Christ, Ephesians 2.10. We are crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. We are buried with Christ, Colossians 2.12. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6. Christ dwells in our hearts, Ephesians 3.17. Christ lives in us, 2 Corinthians 13.5. And so please do not leave it at the theoretical. Please, please, please. Our union with Christ is real. It is personal. It is intimate. And we are joined to our crucified, risen, returning Lord. You are in Christ when you are in Christ. You are joined with him. John Calvin said it this way, our union with Christ is the whole point of the gospel. He said that for, for this is the design of the gospel, that Christ may become ours and that we may be engrafted into his body. We are enabled to walk in newness of life now because of Christ's resurrection. But full resurrection is still future, still pending. We are not yet fully liberated not yet fully free in every respect from this present evil age. Case in point, we still experience death, the consequence of sin and truce by Adam. But we are guaranteed victory over death because we are in Christ. The tyrannical status of sin is ended for believers Because of the resurrection, the kingdom has come, has invaded this present evil age, and believers walk in newness of life, and we have been justified, and we are being transformed, and therefore we are hopeful, hopeful. We're justified because we've been united with Christ.
We're adopted into the family of God because we're united with Christ. God chooses us and joins us to himself and we share in Christ's sonship. And we are being sanctified because we are united to Christ. We are being transformed into his image. And so I want you to know today, Christ's resurrection for the believer guarantees yours. It guarantees yours. So rest in your identity as a beloved son or daughter of the Father. You are united in a death like Christ's. He has freed you from sin to live a new life. You will be united in a resurrection like Christ. He will free you someday from the shackles of this life into the glorious freedom of the children of God in Christ, free from all sin on that day. But until then, cling to your hope in Christ. Cling to your hope in Christ. Know that heaven awaits perspective and the Spirit is in you, and that Jesus died and rose again, not just to forgive your past, not just to deliver you in the future, but to redeem everything you face right now. Amen? And Lord, thank you that you want us to know, you want believers to know how we are united with Christ so that we would joyfully live our new life. Thank you, Lord, that you open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Thank you that you enable us to worship Jesus with all our hearts. May we be awestruck at your goodness, and may your gospel truth prevail, and may we love Jesus with all of our hearts. In whose name we pray, amen.